Hello and welcome to Making UX Work, the Give Good UX podcast. I'm your host, Joe Natoli, and our focus here is on folks like you doing real, often unglamorous, UX work in the real world. You'll hear about their struggles, their successes, and their journey to and through the trenches of product design, development, and of course, user experience. My guest today is Mary Shaw, whose more than 20-year career has taken her from accomplished touring singer-songwriter to marketing strategist and UX consultant to some of the biggest brands in the world. She's a firm believer in collaboration and the power of interaction design, and experience has taught her that the best products come from a clearly articulated vision based on solid user and business needs research, along with a little healthy debate. Here's my conversation with Mary Shaw on Making UX Work. So, Mary, how are you? Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. You have a very interesting story. I was checking out your your bio and, of course, your your LinkedIn profile. You've done a lot of things. Yeah, that. (laughs) (laughs) You say that like it's a bad thing. (laughs) No, no. It's been a fascinating, wonderful journey. I am... I guess if you start at the beginning, I, I set out to become a, a musician about 30 years ago. That was the only job I wanted. Wow. It was, it was the only job I did for a while. For how long? Uh, almost 12 years. Wow. Yeah. I started in college. Um, I had an opportunity to play. We had this little rascaler where I went to school, and they were going to pay me 75 bucks to play my favorite songs for three hours. I was like, wow, sign me up. Yeah, no kidding. Now, this was back in, back in the 80s. And so I would practice after classes until I had a repertoire. And, and it was just so much fun. I just really enjoyed it a lot. And I started writing a lot of songs and, and uh, heard about this college circuit. And that was what I, you know, I have a degree in communication and journalism, but uh, I wanted to see if I could do it. And so, uh, so I did. Well, 12 years, I mean, that's to make a living playing music. Yeah. Uh, we used to say I made a starving. <laughs> <laughs> and there were a couple of years where it was really good. The college market was um, very lucrative for about three of those years. I was um, mostly, you know, I, w- I would have to do temporary secretarial jobs on the side to like make ends meet. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, things were things were going really well. But I was doing about 50,000 miles a year. And after I met my husband, it was just unsustainable. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a lot. Yeah, it's absolutely a lot. I mean, I've been in bands all, most of my life as well. I sort of quit doing that about 10 years ago, but um, never had any aspirations to do what you've done. And, and I know from firsthand experience just how hard of a slog that is. So <laughs> to hear you ran that road for 12 years, that says a hell of a lot to me about your commitment, your belief, your dedication. It takes a lot. Well, thank you. It was, um, I had, I had a lot of support. My family was very supportive. My, my husband at the time, even before we were married, he was very supportive. And I had a good friend whose brother had an early home recording studio and he needed a new project Mm -hmm. and it was a great opportunity. That's, that's where I did my first album. And, uh, I just, I wanted to be the next Bonnie Raitt. I still, she's still my favorite. Fantastic. I just, I love the way she connected with audiences and I wanted to see if I could do that. And, uh, it was just really a big adventure and it was a wonderful way to spend my twenties and to see the country yeah. and to just meet, meet all types of people, really something. But they were mostly young college students. And uh, the older I got, I kept having similar conversations. <laughs> you know, this is like during MTV days. Yeah. Like what? Um, so they'd still be 20, 21 years old and I would be getting to be 25, 26, 27 and still having the same conversations. So it got to be, you know, not, I was, nobody knew who I was. I was just there to show up and play some songs and, um, and then go home. Yeah. But it was good. It was a, it was a good adventure and, and, uh, thank God for the web. Yeah. No kidding. So how did that come to an end? And then your, your career, I mean, into, you know, uh, all things sort of marketing and, and design and advertising and UX and everything else. How did that switch happen? It was gradual, I think. It was, uh, we got married in 94 and I was starting to get tired of the road right around 93 when, when things were, you know, when we were ready to like try to start life together. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of, I just kind of curtailed the touring and I was like, all right, I have this marketing degree. What can I do with it? And there was a small agency uh, near my town that, that was looking for a freelancer. So I joined up and I wound up, and they were great. I wound up uh, 
working with them for five years. And I, it was always, you know, it was never for the whole year or anything. And there was another agency here in Connecticut that I also teamed up with on a shorter basis. But I was just doing basically project management type stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we would uh, coordinate sales meetings. We would do videos, new product launches. And, and back in those days, there were a lot of big brands in Connecticut that we could support. So it was fun. So I got to I got to do that. And I learned a lot of um, that guy who I worked with at the agency, he's He's still my biggest business mentor and still a very dear friend. He lives in Florida now. But we did a lot of great meetings for, uh, I think it was Glad Glad Bags. We did stuff for them. We did stuff for STP and uh, Scoop Away. And then also for um, the, the ASPCA. So those are like some very early exposure to, to large profile brands. Yeah. So you were doing, it sounds like there was some event management yes. mixed in there as well, right? Yes. And then that that led to um, to my first real job, if, as it were, at a software company at Stanford. Uh, they, they actually had an event coordinator position. I, it was going to be a short-term thing. I, I went there to, to uh, cover for someone's maternity leave. That person left and, and uh, I, I got the job and it was right around the time we were buying our house. So, you know, I've just been very fortunate. <laughs> <laughs> how these things, that's how these things happen, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's never when you're, you're sort of looking, it's just serendipity. You know, one thing happens, another thing falls into place. You know, it's, it's that old thing about one door closes, another door opens. But there's a reason those cliches exist. Oh, totally. And this was such a great opportunity. This was uh, a company called Hyperion Solutions. Mm-hmm. And they had an annual user conference. And back then, I think it was like almost a 2000, 2000 attendees. And um, I got hired in the marketing department. And I was there in, in that role for almost two years. But I had an awesome boss. Uh, they were just very forward thinking. And we grew that event to almost 5,000 attendees. But the thing that was most interesting for me during that job was I got to work on the web. And I had found, you know, I'd done a little bit of interactive projects in my freelance career the year before. But boy, I, I remember, uh, do you remember internet cafes back in the mid-90s? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, from, from, the, from the timeline here, this is right around, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't this right around, when your transition started into web stuff, wasn't this right around 2000, like the dot-com boom type era? No, it was actually right before then. It was right. It was right when things were getting, okay. you know, amazing. It was it was ninety seven when I got um, the job at Hyperion. I got firmly entrenched in working on web projects before the crash, mm-hmm. and Hyperion promoted from within. And so I had an opportunity to join the web group as a project manager in two thousand before everything happened. Uh, and thankfully, the company did well, and we, you know, we we were rather unscathed by all of that stuff because um, you know we were working with Fortune one thousand clients. Mm-hmm. And uh, between 99 and 2000, I, I moved over to IT, which was who, who ran the web group. And I just, I was really fortunate. I kind of feel like Hyperion is where I grew up. It, it was kind of like grad school in a way. Mm-hmm. Just it was the first real stability I had had in any kind of career. And they were just very, very encouraging. And, and they would supply training. And if I found books on it, you know, the web was so new then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we were, we were, we were just doing whatever we could to try to get projects out the door and we wanted them to be good. But UX was very, very nascent. It didn't even have that name. No, exactly. How much of what you were doing felt like brand new territory to you and everyone else there? Um, for me, it was in the early days, it was just, it's so interesting, Joe, because it's so similar in my mind to music creation and production mm-hmm. because we were, we were making something out of nothing. Yeah. And that's what you do when you, when you start a brand new song. You just have a blank piece of paper. And we had a blank text file. Uh, do you remember Webmasters? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we had a brilliant webmaster at my company, and she kind of took me under her wing and showed me a bunch of stuff. And then I, I've always been a bookworm, and Amazon was just you know starting out. My, my one-click addiction was just starting back then. And um, I found a really cool book on web project management, Ashley Freeland. Ashley Freeland. I've read that book. Yeah. I may still have it somewhere. Well, we took that, that book was awesome. We, um, I read that book. I told my boss about it and she was like, cool, let's do this. And so we started instituting all that stuff, you know, about scopes of work and, and just, you know, mapping stuff out and mm-hmm. really, really early agile, if you will, just really, you know, blocking things off into workable chunks and then, and working through everything in, in a somewhat, sane manner versus the wild west that it was before then right absolutely and and that structure it, it's really funny that you mentioned that book because I, i'll tell you something i haven't thought about it i haven't thought about that particular book for years hmm. but you and i bought that book right around the same time because i i had just same thing late 90s i started um my own firm and it was the same thing okay not only did we not know what we were doing like no one else knew what they were doing either mm-hmm. <laughs> and there were 
So, but at the same time, there's all this material coming out, articles, books. Oh yeah. You know, and that was one of them where it was an eye opener. Like, okay, here's how you run this. Oh, it was great. And then um, that book was really helpful. And then there was uh, Kelly Goto's book. I think, I think mm-hmm. it's still up on my shelf somewhere. Web design workflow that works. I swear to you, it's right in front of me right now. <laughs> We should hang out. Oh, we I are. Just, I literally, I, this is so strange. I literally I pulled this book out two days ago because I wanted to show somebody something. Mm-hmm. And it's it's Web Redesign 2.0. It's the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great book. I have my hands right now. <laughs> yeah. And you know, all the stuff they said about content management is still so relevant. Absolutely. Absolutely. The thing that, that drew me to your work too was just, you know, of course, the elements of user experience. Yeah, exactly. Jesse, Jesse James Garrett, man. Exactly right. It was... Uh, it's like it's the, your head is just exploding mm-hmm. all the time. You're reading all this stuff and it makes so much sense. You know, and everything that, that Don Norman said about user experience and everything that, like for me, a lot of what I, I started reading at, at Cooper uh, and Cooper's website in particular. Okay. Yep. Um, Alan, Alan and, and Sue, the, the work that they did was just monumental yep. for me. And I thought, okay, this is exactly how this is supposed to work. Um, and I probably drove, you know, my employees crazy with this stuff <laughs> because... <laughs> I was like, it's this, it's this. I'm telling you, it's this. We got to, we got to pivot. We got to do this work. And they're like, we don't know how to do that work. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Oh, I know. I, I uh, later went to an agency after I left Hyperion and um, we were working on some of our early projects and I, I have Xerox copy. I made Xerox copies of, uh, of that scaffolding diagram from the Jesse James Garrett book. Mm-hmm. And I asked everybody to put it in their cube and <laughs> just keep it in mind as we were working on stuff. Right, right. They just thought, it, they thought I had three heads. Yeah, what, it was a great time. It was, yeah. Great, great time to be doing this stuff. Yeah, and uh, just, I, I really felt like I was on the cutting edge. And yeah. It was very adventurous. It was For me, it was very similar to my music career, but the key difference was I was making a living, a, a good living at that point. And um, we had so much passion for the work. We really did. And we were, we were helping people and we were helping the company move forward. And, you know, it was a good, good time to, for me anyway, to be an employee. So you were there for quite a while. You were there at Hyperion for quite a while, right? It was like five years? Actually more like, if you count the marketing department, it's more like seven. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Th- things just changed and it was time for me to go somewhere else. But I loved it. I still have a very special place for it in my heart. But I moved on to a, a promotions agency in Connecticut to, to work on more brand focused stuff. And uh, that was where I met one of my biggest mentors who, um, who ironically, we worked on a project together uh, about six months ago. <laughs> so it's like, wow. it's a small community in Connecticut. Everybody knows each other. It's, it's kind of like television production. Uh-huh. You know, everybody knows everybody. But um, but yeah, I got to work uh, on Dove.com. It's um, the flagship website for Dove products. They're, they're owned mm-hmm. by Unilever. Mm-hmm. So um, this was back when microsites were big. Right. So every time Dove had a new product, we had a new microsite to support it. And then we had media that had to go out with it. And, and that was when I really started doing a lot more UXE type stuff. I was doing it at Hyperion. I just didn't know that's what it was called. <laughs> this was what, like early, early 2000s? Yeah, it was around 2004, 2000, actually more closer to mid. We had started to do the, we were definitely doing sitemaps and I wouldn't even call them wireframes back at Hyperion, but, but uh, we were sketching stuff out and we had post-it notes all over my office, mm-hmm. that type of stuff. So I was doing a lot of it, but I was doing a lot more user research back then. Before I went to the agency, you know, uh, I would go out into the field. We were building custom applications within the company. So I would go into the field, talk to the users, figure out what they needed, try to come back and translate it for the tech team, and then work with the designers to bring it forward. And so it was basically user research, but it was under a project management title. Interesting. See, I, and I love that. I, I love the fact that because I've always believed there's, there's, to me, there's a missing component in product ownership uh, and product management, mm-hmm. project management inside organizations. Mm-hmm. And what you just described to me, I've sort of always felt like those folks should have a hand in in having that happen. I think it would change the way a lot of them do their job. I think it would make their lives easier mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I think it would eliminate a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of miscommunication. So it's really interesting to me to hear you say that those things were so close together for you. Do you think that was a function of a lot of this being new or was it just you know that that company's philosophy. This is this is how we do it. We need to find out who these folks are before we design for them. Well, I think it was part of the company philosophy because Hyperion was always very user-centered from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And um, and my boss was also very forward-thinking. And she's like, you have got to go talk to the people. And I said, okay. So um, so that's what I did. I went to, I, it was really interesting. I got, you know, by then I think we had about 2,000 employees and um, and I got to work with every department, you know, to provide them some sort of product. We did a lot of stuff for HR 
The big thing we did, do you remember uh, enterprise portals? Sure do. That, that was probably the biggest project we worked on. It was, um, we, we rolled out a plum tree portal to replace our, our intranet. <laughs> plum tree. This is a blast from the past, man. Yeah, right? It's awesome. This is like the way back machine for you, Joe. <laughs> That's awesome. I remember sitting in meetings with the plum tree reps. Yep. Right. And they're walking you through everything and you're going, okay, we need to change that. And this, maybe we could customize that because it sucks. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah, I remember, I remember those. Days. We had, like I said, we had a, a really, uh, our webmaster was, uh, she was something else and she was able to tame that plum tree beast. It was, uh, it was quite, quite interesting, but we got it done. That's awesome. And it is like a lion taming feat. I mean, those, those behemoth, you know, enterprise packages mm-hmm. were just a, a universe unto their own. Oh, and we had to look, to, we had to look at so many too, because they, you know, the CIO wanted to make sure we vetted everything. So yep. we, were, we were looking at the Gartner Mag- Magic Quadrant and making sure, yep. you know, we, we had the top players in and we had white papers all over the place. It was an interesting time. That was way long ago. Yeah. I mean, from, from Hyperion to the, the next gig you were talking about, I mean, did you feel like, it sounds like in Hyperion, there was certainly support for all this. Mm-hmm. Did you ever encounter there or afterwards, you know, the, the next place you jumped to, did you encounter any opposition where, you know, you sort of had to start fighting for these things that were second nature. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Was it the same type of opposition that we that you sort of see now today? Or was it different? Yeah, and we had that too. It, you know, where I was, it was um, back at Hyperion, it was, it was very much rainbows and unicorns within our little web team. Mm-hmm. But going into the marketing department, we were always fighting for stuff. And at the end of the day, we, we had to compromise on stuff and... A lot of what, a lot of times it would happen, and it also happened in the agency world too. Our our, uh, our brand clients, you know, somebody reads something in a marketing magazine on a plane, and then they, then they rush into the office, and it has to be up tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't know why, and we don't know how much it costs. And... Yeah. <laughs> Client of mine likes to say the urgent always trumps the important. Yes. Um. So we, I lived through a ton of that at Hyperion, then definitely uh, into I was at a company called Ryan Partnership, uh, which was acquired by by Epsilon, I guess I think after I left. Uh huh. But oh yeah. Um. We we really had to sell in our process to that client, you know, with the scopes of work and explain just you know that back then it was very much a waterfall effort. Um, the information we needed through discovery and then before we could to proceed to the design and, you know, development, deployment, all that stuff. And we would knock heads with our clients sometimes, but, uh, yeah, I'm sure. but always in the most respectful way possible. Well, and you have to, disagreement, you know, is, is part of the gig. And I always mm-hmm. feel like the folks on that end, the, the fear and the reticence is, is sort of a natural byproduct of, of who they are and what they do for a living. They're sort of being asked to place very large bets on things they really don't understand. Yes, very much so. It's a scary place to be. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the other thing, too, that I find, too, like, for example, I'm working on a corporate web website right now, a, a big responsive web design mm-hmm. project for a very large brand. And, um, you know, the CMO and everybody who works for them, they already have full-time jobs. And then you bring a, a web project on top of that. Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily, it's not a done for you thing. It's a collaborative process. And so we need, we need their brains. We need them in the room with us to, to help us make design decisions. And uh, I think there's a lot of education that has to happen with, with executives before they embark on a big project because um, it's going to take their time. It's just going to take their time. They're not used to that. No. And especially if they want the best product possible. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, we just can't go off and work in a vacuum. We have to understand what their business is and, and they have to understand what their business needs to grow and, and move forward. Yeah. And I, I've sort of experienced, I mean, throughout my career, if you do anything long enough, you get lots of flavors of, <laughs> of um, experience, I, I guess. <laughs> you know, you, you, you get folks who will throw down with you and say, yeah, okay, this is really important to me and I do want to be involved. And then you have people at the extreme end of that spectrum who sort of micromanage everything. Right. And then I've also experienced, you know, the opposite, which is, yeah, I get it. It's important, but it, I'm, I'm too busy. I get that a lot. And I think there is, there's so much value to, to educating the ROI if you can. And that's such a hard thing to do. But I find that, that when I'm able to really get it, get it at what's in it for the business and what's in it for them, you know, potentially professionally, I, I get their ear. But it takes a lot of work to do that. How do you do that? What kind of things do you talk about? Well, I, if they'll let me, I try to get information. I try to get insights on on um, their revenue numbers. You know, you know, most of what I do is responsive websites. 
And uh, believe it or not, there are so many companies still that have not moved to a responsive website design. Oh, I believe it. Well, you know that. I'm just, <laughs> just for the listeners out here, it's, it's astonishing. Yeah, yeah. It's astonishing how many big companies do not have a responsive yes. website or an adaptive or whatever. It doesn't work on a phone. Let's just say that. Yep. <laughs> so I try to go, I, I try to do a deep dive into the analytics. Um, I try to figure out what their sales numbers are. Whether or not they have e-commerce, in, in this case, this site it does not have e-commerce, but it can drive off to it. And it's like, if you can at least engage that user, you can consider, you know, I try to figure out there's probably a, an indirect sale that's taking place. And if we can agree that it's this number, if we could even lift that traffic by 1%, you know, you're looking at a couple million dollars. Right. And is that lift worth going through this additional process absolutely because you retain your customers they have a better experience they you know the experience of you is better for everyone and then they're happy and then they buy more stuff yeah exactly right exactly right what do you do when they won't get involved what do you do when they just flat out you know say nope sorry just go do it oh they don't want to play um i i don't play (laughs) i i used to i um as an independent consultant i i i have this process that i that i lay out and i you know, I make it part of basically the deal. And if they want to work with me, that's the way I want to work. Yep. Um, I still do sub out to some agencies. And usually by the time they bring me in, we're at the, um, you know, they're at the sitemap or wireframe stage. So, um, you know, I, I haven't had the opportunity to be involved in any previous research. So those are, are like a, a different type of project. They're a smaller project I'll take on. But if it's me going direct to a company, I have to have that process in place or it's it's just not worth it. Yeah. So you bow out. Yeah. You know, it's like either... You, we're going to do this together or we're not going to do it at all. Yeah. Cause I, I, I want them to have the best product they can possibly get. And yeah, agreed. They, they have to be involved in order for that to happen. I yeah, see. I'm the same way. I mean, I, and, and, and it was hard because people always are surprised when they hear that. So I want everybody listening. Okay. You heard it from somebody else now, aside from me <laughs> who does the same thing. It's it, you know, when you first start doing it, it's scary. You know, someone gave me that advice years ago when I was, when I was still young, when I, when I had my own, gig going and a mentor here locally, a guy named by the name of Ed Gold, who I really, really respected, kept telling me, you have to, because I would tell him stories, right? We get together for lunch and I'd bitch. And he would say, you have got to fire these clients. Mm. Okay. If they're not willing to invest the time to do this right, if they're not willing to give you what you need to do a good job, that's going to actually do something for them, you got to walk away. Now that scared the hell out of me. Okay. Because you know, you're, you're sort of the captain responsible for going down with the ship and you don't want the ship to go down. Right. So, so the idea of turning away work is, is like, you have to be kidding me. But man, it, it took me, I don't know, it took me five or six years to realize that he was absolutely right. Oh, yeah, because it, it, it's a terrifying thought, you know, because we have families to support. Yeah, those gigs never end well. They do not ever end well. And I don't know if it's, you know, I, I had to live through a few of them to, to discover that they just weren't worth it. Sure. But, you know, it's always better to um, make the positive choice, I think. Yeah. And I always felt like, you know, once I hit that point, I, I really firmly, especially now, feel like I, I don't ever want someone to have a, an experience with me, someone who's hired me for any reason, to come back and say, you know, we spent all this money, we did all this work, and we're still where we were when we came to you. Or... We're not any better or, <laughs> okay. I mean, who wants that? I don't want that. Yeah, but you still have to make compromises on these jobs anyway. Sure. Um, yeah, that's, it's never, so I, I've had a, several that, I, that I've worked on that, um, you know, it's 70 or 80% of what I would have hoped. Yeah, of course. But there's, there's going to be some battles that, you know, you got to pick your battles. And, um, and there's, and I have to remind myself that I will never, ever know as much about the business as the business leader does. Agreed. So I just have to be humble to that. Yeah, which is hard too. You know, we if you care about what you do, it's especially hard. Mm-hmm. Very much. Yeah, you know, you've been doing this for quite a while now, and I, I always say the same thing. It's like seeing a it's like seeing a movie a hundred times, right? <laughs> you know, you know what's coming next. No. Uh, you know how it ends, and like you just said, I mean, sometimes the best you can do in any situation is just you voice that and you say, well here's what I think <laughs> is going to take place. And it's at the end of the day, it's their decision whether to do it or not. So you're right. You do have to have to make compromises. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, there's all these, uh, UX boot camps that are out there that some of which are very, very good, mm-hmm. but, um, 
on the business side, everybody's talking about the user, the user, the user. And yes, we are user experience professionals, but there's that Venn diagram, right? That, that has the sweet spot in the middle. Mm-hmm. Well, what's on the, what's on the left side of that? The business. So I think the business kind of gets the short shrift of that. Always. Always. But it's, um, it's because we, I think we get hung up on what the business wants versus helping the business figure out what it needs. I totally agree. Totally agree. Couldn't agree more. You just, you hit that nail on the head. Part of the reason I'm reacting the way I am is because a big push for me personally right now, something I'm working on, a workshop type thing is all about that side of the fence. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think any of us as a profession talk about this nearly enough. We don't. And there's so much we can do to help. Yes. But we but we have to seek first to understand, you know, like Stephen Covey says. Right. And that's the problem, right? I, if, if I had a nickel for every post I see that's like, essentially, it'll say, Clients are idiots and they don't get it. <laughs> it's misguided. That's totally misguided. Yeah, and it's probably not the truth. Okay. Mm-hmm. When you dig into some of these stories, and I've had plenty of people tell me stories, you know, about situations because they're they're looking for some advice. And a lot of times they don't like what I have to tell them because what I have to tell them is you have to go about this in a different way. All right. You're you're positioning them as an adversary. And the minute you do that in your mind, you're not getting anywhere. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's no sense of, of helping them succeed. It's not about just blanket catering to their needs. Like you said, it's it's not a dictatorship where it's like, you will do this in this way. No, it's about leveraging your expertise and your skill to show them how doing it differently would be hugely beneficial. But and you have to have that conversation. Yes. And uh, so, so how are we going to get that conversation more often? What are you doing? The top secret? Well, what am I doing? Um, it, it's going to be, it, it's going to be a, a live workshop. And then I, I may do a, a solo recorded version as well. But essentially what I decided is, is what I want to do is I want to take people through exactly what I do with clients from day one. You know, if it's a five-day engagement from day one to day five. That's awesome. All right. Here's exactly what I do is exactly how I do it. Sign me up. <laughs> here's questions I ask. And, and I'm going to tell you something, Mary. Most of it has very little to do with the formal quote unquote UX methods and processes mm-hmm. that the internet is littered with. Okay. I get all that. I support it. I've done it myself. I've, I've encouraged client teams to do it. I'm not against any of that. But in a lot of situations, there is a whole hell of a lot of work that has to happen that is outside those things. If you are going to get the kind of cooperation, collaboration, intel that you need in order to make those UX improvements. Right. Because it's so much, so much of the discovery work is about what makes the business tick. So, you know, outside of any app or site that you're going to build. Right. I mean, do you know how many times clients have called me in because they feel like, okay, this product is failing or it needs a major redesign from interaction to UI or it's any number of things, right? We're, we just, we suck at UX. Can you help us? Mm-hmm. If I had a nickel for every time I found out that there was some internal process and personality issues causing a lot of the disconnect or causing a lot of the work that should happen but doesn't happen, I'd be retired by now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's um, throughout. And I think it's just people don't know. No, and you have to, That's I guess all I'm saying is you have to spend a lot of time figuring out how this place operates yep. right now. <laughs> okay. How do they do things now? From the time someone says, I want, or I think we should, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. from that time until the time something gets built, what happens? You need to know all that. You know, you really need to know all that if you're going to be able to, to solve those issues. And I think, again, it's something that to my eye, nobody's talking about. Well, it's invariably, you know, there's this, this concept of stated needs. You know, I want X, I want Y. Um, and then it, when you start doing your digging, like you're talking about, it's, there's all of these other needs under the surface that they, they're not even aware of. Right. 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 That are actually driving, that are actually driving that request. <laughs> yeah. They don't know that it's there. So uh, who says you don't know what you don't know. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that there's a larger conversation that's being missed. Um, it is about users. Of course it is, but only in the context of making sure that there's value back to the business so that the business gives a shit about helping users, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, well, yeah, because that's so funny you said that because when I'm working with students, it's like we talk about that Venn diagram, you know, the left and the right side and then the sweet spot in the middle. Um, if there's no business on the left side, there's no users on the right side and then nobody gets paid and nobody can use any product and nobody, exactly right. you know, it all fades away. So it, it's in everyone's interest to satisfy both sides of that 
of that equation, if you will. Right. I mean, you could you could suggest all sorts of things that would improve user experience, that would improve, you know, uh, user delight, user efficiency, whatever you want to call it. A business is essentially looking at you, saying, "Okay, great. What does that get us?" Right. I mean, let's let's be real here. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um. So what? <laughs> It's like, do I do I get a razor promotion out of? Is what they'll ask you. you know, right, you know, right. Do I, I mean, get stock options for that? And that's not. And I'm not. I, I want to be clear. I'm not criticizing right any of those people. But that is the gig. That's the lay of the land. That's how business operates. That's the world that we live in. It's a world of benefits, not features. Right. Correct. Absolutely correct. That's. that's I'm going to steal that. Oh, go for it. Um, so much of what we do, um, and I think the the further you get into your career. You have to be a consultative salesperson. Yeah. And that and I don't mean that in like a used car salesman or anything like that. It's it's just really identifying the problem, identifying those pain points and figuring out how to solve them, which is the big puzzle, right? Yeah. Well, consultative sales though, to me in its true sense, means telling the truth. Yeah, of course. It means it means truly being a consultant. It means being someone that that person can rely on yep. to tell them, here's how you make this situation better. Here's what you should do. Here's what you shouldn't do. And here's why. Yep. Um, and I think we have a great opportunity to do that, right? And do it in a way where everybody does see benefit and users win, businesses win, everybody wins. It's totally possible. I, I was telling you about my, my basement, right? This recent... <laughs> Uh, flooding escapade, right? Which is just sort of like a never ending story. Long story short, I had a contractor who did some work on my house earlier, uh, a couple of years ago, who I trust explicitly. This guy's one in a million, mm -hmm. okay? Because he just tells you the truth. If he thinks something doesn't need to happen, if he thinks you don't need to spend the money, he'll flat out tell you. Oh, wow. Part of the reason I appreciate that is because I grew up building houses. Mm -hmm. So there's no part of a house I haven't built myself, including electrical, plumbing. Like I've done all this work, pushing 50 and two shoulder surgeries later, I don't do it anymore. <laughs> Anyway, I, I called him after this last flood. I said, look, this is making me crazy and I got to do something. And I have a couple ideas. And I just want to bounce them off you and see what you think. So he comes and I lay it all out for him. Essentially what he says without giving you all the ridiculous details is don't do any of that. Do this small thing. Do this other small thing yourself and, and see what happens for the next six, eight months. You know, he's like, don't go down that road. Don't spend all this money. Don't hmm. just don't. That guy is worth his weight in gold to me. Totally. He, he should work on some websites. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and I thought about it after he left. And I thought, you know, it's the same approach that I take uh, when I work with clients. And, it's, and I think it's the reason I appreciate that yep. so much because that's my belief as well. You know, just because we can do it doesn't mean we should. Right. It's only if it's, if it's causing a huge problem. That's when you address it. Right. I mean, companies come to me and say, we have to redesign every inch of this. It's a massive, you know, internal portal type entity. And I say, well, let's hang on a second. Why don't you tell me exactly what's happening and where and why and how first before we just dive in and say, yep, we're going to tear it all up. You know, it's, it's not always that simple. And I think as a, as a consultant, especially, I think your longevity increases when you get a reputation uh, for, for telling the truth. Sure thing. I mean, a lot of times it's, it's just a simple task flow maybe that, that needs to get fixed instead of you know, retooling the entire thing. Right. So you had your own consulting business. I mean, it looks like you sort of did that <laughs> twice, right? Yeah. I, if you count the music, I've done it three times. <laughs> so, awesome. So I think I've been, a, if you include the music gigs, I think I've been a uh, freelancer for 20 of the last 30 years. You keep coming back. Do I just I'm the phoenix? I just, you know, it's funny. I um, uh, a lot of it is just is driven by by motherhood. I'm a mom. I have a beautiful 15 year old daughter. Awesome. And um, back at the agency in 2006, um, I you know I was doing 70 80 hour 80 hour work weeks, and oh yeah, I would bring in uh, freelance IAs for for different projects. And I remember this this one gal I was working with, and she was leaving it too. And I said, what? I said you're leaving already? She goes, Oh yeah, I'm just part time. I was like, wow. <laughs> and, uh, and she did great work. So she just kind of plant, planted a seed. And then I, I started thinking about, you know, I, I was doing a lot of the sitemaps and wireframes and, and just basic UX stuff at that point. And I was like, gosh, what is my favorite part of this job? What do I, what do I get the most uh, joy from? And then where do, I, where do I offer the most value? And it was in that area. So I was like, I wonder if I could just carve out this as a freelance opportunity. Um, mm -hmm. we, we were at a point where just, we really needed me to come home. Yeah. 
It's hard. And um, so I did. I got I got fortunate. I had a um, I had a I had two clients when I left, and one of one of whom is still a client. This is twelve years later. Awesome. And um, just got really lucky, you know. I'm I do work hard, and uh, if there's if I don't know something, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to go figure it out. But I've been very very fortunate. I've got a, a good professional network, and um, but just life took its life did what it, what did you say in your email today? You're like life does what it wants. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, life did what it wanted to in 2011, and I thought I had a whole bunch of uh, consulting work lined up in 2011, and it all fell through. It either got pushed out or canceled, and uh, it was time for me to go back full-time for a while. So I went back to it. I I was able to thankfully get a a job pretty quickly as a project manager at another agency, Uh, but it didn't last long. I, I just, I missed I missed the UX stuff. I just missed it. And uh, mm-hmm. so um, had a, had a negotiation with my CFO, who's my husband. And, and he's like, all right, if you can, you can do it this way, if you can deliver X, Y, and Z, uh, let's see how it goes. And so I relaunched in 2013. And you've been doing it ever since. Yes. That is awesome. Yeah. I, I love it so much. And looking at your trajectory, okay, we, we all are inclined to say we got lucky. But the truth is to be doing anything this long, all right, and to be able to come back to it more than once. I think is more of a testament to your, your ability and the results that you get. Oh, thank you, Joe. I appreciate that very much. You know, so you, you gotta, you gotta pat yourself on the back a little bit as well. I think it's funny. I think there's still, there's still a big part of me that's still that shy folk singer who who, who is afraid to get a job as it were. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a musician, I think you, you, you know that. Absolutely. It's uh, it's, you know, civilians can't understand that. <laughs> No, no, they don't. And, and I'll tell you something else. It's, it's, it has a lot to do with the performing thing Yes. for me uh, as, as well. That's a huge, huge lift mm-hmm. for me, whether it's, I mean, even this, okay, you know, podcast, <laughs> talking and putting it out in public, um, standing up on a stage, especially, okay, speaking gigs, being in the room, working with clients, um, there's a performance aspect to all that. Oh, absolutely. That's a critical part of who I am. And it's, it's, to me, it's the same way with music, right? I, all the artists that I love, my own rules for, for writing music, making music, performing music are all sort of the same. And that is you shouldn't be doing it if you don't believe it. Like I never wanted a note that I played or, or something that I sang or, or whatever to come, come out of my mouth in a way or, or out of my hands that you couldn't tell that I meant it, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. And all this is the same thing. Yeah, I, I draw on my years of performing whenever I'm presenting. Um, I've, I've only done a few speaking opportunities, um, but I've done a ton of presentations to, to senior executives and stuff. And I, I draw on all that energy and um, I'm just very thankful for it. You know, it's, uh, I think it definitely helps that I've, that I've just, one of the things that was really cool about touring was just meeting all different types of people. I mean, all over the U.S. and uh, just being exposed to that. I used to get terrible stage fright, but you know, after you've done a couple hundred performances, it's like, okay, yeah. here we go. Yeah, and and, and I, th- I I really do believe that when you're in it, okay, when your heart is in it, when your head is in it, and when you care about it, right, when it's mm-hmm. when it matters, mm-hmm. that comes across. Oh, sure. All by itself, people will forgive. In a performance, let's say, you know, music, um, bands can make mistakes, right? Everybody makes mistakes. People don't even notice that if the performers, you know, come across like they're really invested in what they're doing, that they mean it, that it's real for them. It's true for them. Well, it's got to be, it's got to be real. Cause you know, I'm, I think I'm a few years older than you. And it's like the older I get is like, I just want to be doing stuff that, that matters on some level. Amen. Right. Cause it's like, it's a cliche. Here's another cliche. It's like, no, nobody sits on their deathbed wishing they had spent more time at the office. Yeah. Right. You know, but if I, I'm going to work. I, I want it to, even if it's on a small scale, I want it to help make somebody's life a little easier. And I think that's what UX can really do, not just for the users, but for the people doing the actual work. Amen. We can help, we can help pave a path to more efficient processes. You know, we can just, we can help people talk to each other better we can we can help with conflict resolution in some cases. I mean, I've I've, I've refereed a few conference room arguments <laughs> that are quite quite interesting. Let me ask you a question related sure. to that. How much of what you do these days is of that nature? Is as much about helping the people in the room as it is about helping you know the users in the business as a whole. Oh, I think a lot of it is. I think a ton of it is. Yeah. <laughs> and I think most of that is just b- because of I'm because of being this far along in my career. You know, if I I I don't work full-time just with the motherhood stuff, 
being a mom. Um, but I have been on the earth long enough and I have been in enough of these situations where, you know, after you've done it as many times as I have, like you were saying earlier, yeah. you, you start seeing the patterns, right? It's just like when, when you start getting your, um, I guess your confidence as a, as a designer, you start seeing design patterns, you start seeing behavior patterns, especially in the workplace. Yeah. So yeah, that's a lot of what I do now. In fact, I'm going to be doing this on Friday when I, when I go meet with a client. <laughs> See, and, and, and the reason I asked that question is because it feels like a larger component of that has found its way into what I do as well. And I find that the longer I do this, the more that becomes a, a component. In, in a lot of cases, I'm spending just as much mental and emotional energy trying to figure out, okay, these 12 people that I'm with, you know, for, for a day or two days or three days or five days or whatever it is, how do I ease everybody's stress here? How do I, how do I lift? Right. How do we get rid of some of this pain? How do we get rid of some of this conflict, the thing that that's making people walk around, you know, with their heads down. Mm-hmm. How do we solve these problems as well? To me, they're as important. Oh, sure. As the other ones. Cause they're going to, they're going to drive the quality of the meeting. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. 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 Everything, everything matters. Everything counts. Everything's connected. Do you do um, one-on-one? Do you have, uh, you may, if you're only with them for like five days, do you get opportunities to do any kind of one-on-one time with them? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes we break yeah. out yep. or, or a lot of times during breaks, what will happen if there's no formal sort of breakout where, you know, we sort of schedule it, people will come up to me, you know, and they'll, they'll elaborate on something that maybe was hinted at. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. When everyone else is in the room and they'll, they'll give me some version of, I'm just really at my wits end here and I don't know what to do. Yeah. It's just getting that elephant out of the room is, or, um, identified at least. And then, and then ushering it out of the room is, is real big deal. Um, I had a wonderful boss that, at that agency that I was telling you about earlier. He, uh, he was a big fan of what he called the back channel, right? Mm-hmm. We'd all have the big meeting with everybody, but he made sure that he would stop by the office, stop by the cube, just get a couple of minutes in the hallway just to find out what was really going on. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that has always stayed with me. Yeah. I think, well, I think it's important. Yep. And like you just said, getting those elephants out of the room uh, is a big step toward progress because if, if those things remain, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how many other things you do well. If you can't get rid of some of that stress and strife and pain and conflict, um, it doesn't matter. The end result's still going to be the same end result. Well, and it's so critical to team building, you know, and if you don't have a, a tight focused team, it's so hard to move forward. It's like and the best way I've found for that to, to you know, get those elephants out of the room, but just when people start trusting each other, then they relax and then they work better. Yeah. They work more effectively. They, they think more clearly yep. and, and work becomes more fun. You know, there's no reason work can't be fun. It doesn't have to be an eight hour soap opera. Totally agree. I mean, I, and I can't tell you how many times I've, I've <laughs> said to people <laughs> where, where they're, they're frustrated about something. And like, for instance, you know, they want to do some research or, or something and they'll say, well, it's not approved. We're not allowed to do that. And I say, well, let me ask you a question. Do you have time to do it anyway? <laughs> and they kind of look at me like, what do you mean? I'm like, do you have time to do it on your own? Yeah. Then do it. Sure thing. Then they have something tangible to bring to the table. It doesn't mean we have to have meetings about it. It doesn't mean we have to, you know, get everybody together and, and convince everyone that this is what the data says, but you can certainly allow it to inform the quality of your work or the relevance you know, or accuracy or whatever of your work. Yep. <laughs> There's no law that says you can't do that. And and it's funny. They sort of look at me after that, like, well, okay. Like, yeah, I can. And I'm gonna. <laughs> and then they get excited and they relax a little bit, right? Right. right. And the temperature changes. Yeah. And you're like, see? Sure. It's not, th- those chains are invisible, you know, to, to some degree. I think a lot of it is self-imposed too, because I, I mean, I know for me when I was younger and you know, I just, I really, it was so important to me, you know, that I did the right thing. I, I never even knew what the right thing was. <laughs> right, <laughs> just like, right, right, right. You know, I want to act a certain way. I'm at an agency. Oh my goodness. Well, and you want it to be seen too, I think. I think having it being seen is more important when you're younger. Yes, very much so. You want everybody to recognize what you're doing, you know, and, and the importance of it. There's uh, this thing called the 18-40-60 rule. Have you ever heard it? No. It's uh, from Jack Canfield. Um, one of his books, it's like when you're 18, you're just constantly worried about what everybody's thinking about you. And then by the time you're 40, you, you don't care about what anybody's thinking. And then, but, but by the time you're 60, you realize that nobody was thinking about you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So, so I, I try to keep that in mind at all times. That's good advice. 
Isn't that great? Yeah, that's, um, that's excellent advice. Uh, it's, uh, it's from the Success Principles book. Okay. It came out probably 10, 11 years ago. All right. I'm going to have to check that out. That's, that's one of the greatest things I've ever heard because it's completely <laughs> accurate. Please pass it forward. Pass it on. I will. So we are at 454 because we started at four, right? Yes. <laughs> Kind of. I don't know. Right. Something we, like we that. Had some techni- we had some technical issues. Right. So anyway, I, I want to ask you what we call some hot seat questions, which are just sort of off the cuff, random things, mm-hmm. so people can learn more about you. Okay. What's one thing that either nobody or most people don't know about you, but probably should? I can play dueling banjos on one guitar. <laughs> on one guitar? <laughs> on one guitar. It's, I, I call it schizophrenic dueling banjos on one guitar. That's incredible. Well, I'm probably rusty on it right now, but with a little practice, I could probably, right, I I think, could probably rev it up. I think you should practice and then upload, you know, get, get me an audio <laughs> file and we'll, we'll add it. We'll add it to this as like a bonus track. <laughs> That's a deal. Right. In fact, here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll do it like a hidden bonus track. The podcast will end and then you'll have four seconds of silence and then it'll just start. Nice. <laughs> you know, bonus. Wow. Awesome. Um, if, and I always ask this question and people hate it, but I love it. So desert Island. Okay. Mm, okay. And I'm going to give you a choice. You get either, let's assume you have electricity. You get one book, one movie, or one piece of music that you can, you know, have to absorb and enjoy the rest of your life. What would it be? Oh, that's so hard. I know. <laughs> I know. It's a great question. It's an awesome question. Uh, I'd have to go music. Okay. What would it be? Oh, come on. <laughs> um, wow. For the rest of my life? Because oh. that'd, be that'd be a lot of repetition. The rest of your life. Oh, my Lord. Um, probably Bonnie Raitt's Nick of Time. Mm-hmm. Tell me why. It was just such a pivotal moment for her and me, unbeknownst to her, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was living in Austin, and I was really getting serious about my my performing career back then. And um, that was the song that turned everything around for her and got, got her notoriety. And, and uh, it was a very personal song for her Yeah, and um, just so well produced by Don was, and I've never gotten tired of it. It always makes me think of my days back in Austin, which were some of my favorite days of my whole life. That was late in her career, yes. right? I mean, that yeah. was very late in her career. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I've been a big fan of her since I was 14, but um, people would ask me, who's your favorite singer? And I'd say that and they'd be like, who? Yeah. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was like 88. Planets just aligned. The timing was right. It was amazing. I was, I, I thought that was just so wonderful. So yeah, I could, um, I could listen to that, I think, and, and not get tired of it. All right. Cool. Let me think of another one here. Tell me something that you think is true about UX, design, IA, project management, anything. Um, that almost nobody agrees with you on. Oh, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about you know the business getting the short shrift because uh, I get a lot of pushback on that because it's not we're not thinking enough about the users <laughs> and um, and it's just it's one big circle. It's uh, if you if you take care of both ends of the circle that that's the only that's the only clear path to the sweet spot whatever that is you know wh- wherever that is you've got to represent both equally. When you get arguments against that, where do you think that comes from? Um, I don't know. I, I wonder if it's, it's probably experience. It's usually younger designers. And I think they think that I'm plotting against the users and I'm not representing the user because the user is sacred and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Of course the user is important, but the only way to satisfy that, that user is to make sure that the business has what it needs as well. Yeah. I always wonder if it's, if it's sort of a, whose side are you on kind of thing. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a lot of us versus them. It's not helpful. I hear a lot of, Oh, you're just with them because they're paying you. And it's like, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and it's funny. I mean, I've, I've gotten that uh-huh. as well. And, and what I tell them in, in response is, well, they are paying me, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm the best advocate you've got right now. Right. Because the fact that they're paying me makes them willing to listen to what I have to tell them. Right. Okay. So I am here for you as well. I'm absolutely on your side. It's, a, it's an interesting line. You know, so, so you've got an opportunity here as well. Yeah. It's an in- interesting line we walk. You know, I, I, I want a happy user more than anybody. Sure. Uh, but, but there needs to be a product for them to interact with. Well, there's only one way you're going to get there. Okay. The only way you're going to get a happy user is, is to get the folks with the purse strings to agree that doing this stuff matters. Yep. Okay. They have to pay for it. If they don't pay for it, it doesn't happen. Yep. 
right? It's that simple. So if we want what we want, we have to work together to get it. You're preaching to the choir, my friend. I know. I know. Um, What word or phrase do you say way too much? I think I did it on this podcast. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'll, I'll listen back when we're in, when we're in editing, I'll, I'll have somebody edit out the every sure. Oh, and we'll oh sure. Or um, <laughs> I, I say really a lot as well. Really? Yes, really. You do say really a lot. Okay. And right are mine. Those are, those are my two. When I first started doing courses, the recorded video courses mm-hmm. blew my mind. How many times in recordings, I said, okay, like in the space of four minutes. Wow. Just constantly. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God, this is so bad. And I made them edit out, like poor editors. I made them edit out every single instance, practically. Left a couple in so it sounded normal, but I was so completely embarrassed by that. Oh gosh, the, you know, that's the, I'm, I'm going to be afraid to listen to this, but it's like... <laughs> It's, it's like, you know, the recording tells all. Yeah, well, talk, talk about telling the truth. We'll make a note to watch out for them. Thank you. What are you not very good at? Oh, I am not very good at coding. Yeah. I, I, I will break your website. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I know just enough to be dangerous. You know, if you show me a page of code, I can read it. I kind of know what it's doing and, and whatnot. But if you wanted me to update something, I, I, you'll be very sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't, don't give me the keys to the website. <laughs> don't give me the keys to the website. I like that. Here's here's the last one, and, and we'll end with this. Knowing what you know now, being where you are, you know, at this point in your career, if you could give your younger self, let's say, not so much in your music career, but when you were first starting out in marketing and, and software and UX and all those things. It's a classic question, right? If you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Don't be afraid to be yourself. That's good advice. Just don't be afraid of that. The world, everybody's unique. I think Marie Forleo says the world needs that special gift that only you have. Uh, I was so self-conscious at the beginning. I was I was so terrified that I was going to get fired every day because mm-hmm. I'd never had a job before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if I just, just don't take it so seriously, you know, it's... Um, Life is short, and especially after you have kids. Yeah, you've you've got three kids, right? Yes. Yeah. Once you have kids, it's like, oh, that's what. Okay, it's all right. It's let's all chill out. (laughs) (laughs) So just don't take it all so seriously. Amen to that. Well, we will end on that note, Mary. I cannot thank you enough for your time. Oh, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Joe. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Maybe we'll do it again. I'd like that very much. That'd be great. All right. I wish you all the success in the world in your career, although I have every indication that you don't need it. <laughs> Let's just hope things keep going the way they're going. It's, it's, uh, I'm, a, I'm a very fortunate, grateful person. Me too. Keep the faith and we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Joe. That wraps up this edition of Making UX Work. Thanks for listening, and I hope hearing these stories provides some useful perspective and encouragement, along with a reminder that you're not alone out there. Before I go, I want you to know that you can find show notes and links to the things mentioned during our conversation by visiting givegoodux.com slash podcast. You'll also find links to more UX resources on the web and social media, along with ways to contact me if you're interested in sharing your own story here. Until next time, this is Joe Natoli reminding you that it's people like you who make UX work.